welcome to the Unteachables podcast. I'm your host, Claire, and I am absolutely no stranger to the challenges and let's face it, sometimes carnage of being a teacher. And if you found yourself here listening with me, I'd say that you might know a bit about that as well, because being a teacher is friggin' hard. And this podcast is dedicated to making you feel a hell of a lot less alone whilst giving you the knowledge, support and strategies that you need to not just survive the chaos of being a teacher, but truly thrive. Think about it as getting a weekly dose of relatable, actionable, and most importantly, enjoyable professional learning straight into your ears. So hit the subscribe button, download me for your commute, and let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another week of the Unteachables podcast. I'm recording this on a Wednesday. I usually record it the day before it comes out at the moment because I've got so much going on with like the baby, the book and everything. Um, but it's a Wednesday, so I'm doing this very early. And the reason being is I just need to honor my energy today. I don't know if I'm sure most parents out there, if I said the two words of sleep regression um, and maybe add in four months on top of that, you'd know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm four weeks into the four-month sleep progression with my little one, and honestly, I cannot think. Today I had these big grand plans to work on the book, um, to work on one of the pillars that I've got happening. I've finished almost half of the book at the moment in terms of drafting it anyway, and I'm so happy about that. But today I actually physically couldn't go and look at that chapter because my brain is just not working. Like I can't do that kind of high level thinking stuff. So I thought to honor my energy, I'd spend the morning. So I dropped Ava off at nursery and she's loving nursery now. I've swapped a half day. So it's not as intense for her. And she comes out with a big smile on her face babbling. So it's the best feeling ever. Um, but I decided to get home. I decided to make myself some breakfast, which I don't usually do. I usually just, cause I've got five hours a day to smash into the work. So I don't usually do that. So I got home, made myself some breakfast. I made some carrot cake cut carrot cake cupcakes and then I thought you know what instead of smashing out the book today because it's not going to be my best work I'm probably going to be sitting there looking at the screen for 10 years instead I'm going to record this episode of the podcast because I feel like chatting things through with you on here is not easier but it like it does more in alignment with what my brain can handle at the moment and it's something that I thoroughly enjoy doing and I do feel like picking up the phone at the moment and having a chat with somebody. So I thought that why not channel that into um, the podcast, which I love doing. And it's also a friendly reminder this week. This little story of mine is a reminder that giving 100% doesn't always look like smashing things out to the highest degree you can possibly be smashing things out. Sometimes it also looks like coming home and making some cupcakes. Sometimes it also looks like laying on the lounge and doing a little bit of writing on your iPad instead of getting on the computer and being really intense about it. And sometimes it looks like getting on the computer and recording a podcast instead of writing a book. Um, so yeah, I'm thrilled to be back for another episode and to have you here with me. And I'm going to be diving into a topic that's going to kind of revolutionize how you handle those tricky behavior challenges in your classroom, because I want you to picture that you're faced with yet another student who is behaving in a way that's extremely challenging. You just dealt with this last week. In the previous lesson, you were already dealing with this. So you're thinking, oh, not again. And it's very easy for us to jump into punishment mode and to kind of continue that cycle of, I just spoken to this student yesterday. This student is coming into this lesson still not behaving in the way that I need them to behave. Need them to behave. So instead of, you know, working with them in a different way, we kind of up the ante with it. Oh well, they need to go to the head teacher again now. They need to come and sit with me for another detention. We need to escalate this and escalate this and escalate this to senior leadership and to parents and to meetings and to suspensions and to 
all of those things, it's very easy for us to continue to escalate it. Um, but what I want to think about is for us to kind of take a little cheeky do- detour away from that and explore a route that focuses on more accountability, which is what we want, isn't it, to be more accountable, like for our students to be more accountable and more reflective. It's about breaking the cycle. It's about turning the challenging behaviors that we see into valuable teaching opportunities, which is true discipline. And it's doing this by addressing the underlying causes and engaging with our students in a way that's respectful, supportive, collaboratively, just having a good old discussion with them. And through this, we can guide them to make making better choices and taking ownership of the consequences that we do give them. So this episode's all about that. And how do we do it? We first need to be using consequences that are actually meaningful for that student. Consequences that are real, that create real change, that actually break circuits rather than continuing the cycle for them. Your students will be rocking up to class expecting this. They will be expecting you to be punitive. They will be expecting to be kicked out. So a good way to think about consequences that make sense to us and the student, consequences that are logical and equitable, we can use Jane Nelson's um, three R's of logical consequences. I really like these as like using them as a trusty guidepost on finding suitable consequences for our students that are impactful for them. So if you're ever in doubt about whether a consequence is going to be beneficial for a student, you can ask yourself the first R, which is the con- is the consequence related to the behavior? Is the consequence respectful to the student? Like am I communicating this in a way that is respectful? And is it reasonable? Is the consequence that I'm giving this student something that makes sense for them in terms of their age? Is it something that makes sense to them in terms of the um, the actual behavior that occurred? So if one of these three R's are missing, so is it respectful? Is it reasonable? Is it related to the behavior? If one of those three R's are missing, it's not logical. It's not something that is going to have an impact. And we need to make, our, make sure our consequences hit the mark because that's how we get that buy-in from our students as well. So here are five kind of foundational consequences that I love using in my classroom. It's not your typical one size fits all punishment. These consequences are all about setting things right through fostering the accountability that I was talking about. And trust me, rather than further escalating behaviors like punitive punishments do, they work like magic in the beginning to mitigate future challenges because students are fully on board. Um, when we have students on board, when we have buy-in, they're actually going to be wanting to do better and know better. And it doesn't happen with punitive punishment. They don't have any buy-in and we need that to be able to move forward. Not only that, but every single time we approach our students in this way, it's actually supporting the development of their synapses in their brains through neuroplasticity. We're actively supporting our students to make these crucial long-term changes at school and in life through all of these little touch points that we give them through the discussions, through the real consequences, through things that make sense for them. So the kind of things like an example of what I would do with my students, these are kind of the bread and butter of what I do when it comes to consequences. Number one, you break something, you help fix it. You know, when you do something, of course, you just have to take responsibility and make it right. And this is a really like clear example of how to do that. You break it, you fix it. So I've had students before flip a table over and all of the screws come out. I've gotten somebody to sit with them and screw those back in. And it doesn't have to be that they turn into a little carpenter. You don't have to get them to actually develop those particular skills, but even just the act of sitting side by side with somebody and going through that process is magic for them to be able to restore that um, that issue that was taking place. Number two, you mess it up, you clean it. Again, another really tangible one, really clear one that students understand. Students will get this. 
you made a big mess. What's going on for you? You know, how are we going to rectify this? Clean it up. Obviously, that's a really good one to be um, enforcing for your students. Number three, if my students ever have an argument or a fight, they have to engage in some form of conflict resolution. You put your detective hat on, we dig deep and we find a peaceful solution. We find a resolution that's going to help that student develop the social skills that they need for next time, the emotional skills they need for next time to actually start to mitigate some of these things. Students can then learn to deal with um, the conflict themselves. They can get better at this, better equipped for this. Students don't know what they don't know. And it's our responsibility to be teaching them to know better and do better. And these conflict resolutions are a brilliant way to be doing that with our young people. Number four, the students had a massively challenging lesson. What are we going to do? sit down and discuss it. We need to get to the root cause of it. We're going to make a plan for next time because we need to make sure that we're developing their understanding around what's going wrong for them. I think it takes somebody shining that light sometimes. And I know for myself, like it did, it took a very long time for me to understand where my behaviors were coming from. And that's me as an adult, as you know, a person in my early twenties, it took a long time. It was only when I started that really reflective work that I'm like, wow, the reason I'm acting like this is because of this. And you kind of put two and two together. Our students are the same. We're all just human beings trying to get through and navigate this messy life together. So if a student's had a really challenging lesson, it's very often the case and they don't know why. They they haven't reflected on it. They haven't cognitively thought about what was challenging. So if we sit down with them, if we discuss why that was, we can get to a really amazing root cause of it and together we can make a plan. We can make a plan to come into the lesson the next time where they're already regulating themselves before they come in or they've got a tool for regulation when they do come in or they they have, you know, said something to themselves before they walk in that room or we've checked in with them, something that is different than what happened that lesson. And it's not going to be perfect, but it's a way to develop their skills in regulation, in thinking about how to do things differently, how to behave in a different way, um, but still meeting those needs. And number five, if you're acting in a way that's harmful, you need to take responsibility. You need to make it right. Much like conflict resolutions, uh, if something's happening that is causing any particular kind of harm, you need to understand why that is. You need to resolve that. So the best way that I can explain that is, you know, if there's um, a student that said something that is incredibly inappropriate or is harmful, is damaging to a particular group of students or one student in particular, you need to make sure that they're able to take the responsibility of why that was harmful. And sometimes that does come with a lot of education around it. Like I've got students who, and I use the example in my course, I've got students that say, you know, women should just get in the kitchen and, you know, make a sandwich for the men because I teach all boys. And when they say things like that, of course, that is incredibly harmful. It's incredibly damaging and they need to know why that is. And very often they say, that's just my opinion. That's just, you know, that I'm, I'm just joking. And it's very hard to break down that barrier with them. So really making sure we're able to discuss that authentically with them, give them some education around it. And that's where the magic happens, where they're able to then reflect and grow from that. So as you can see, logical consequences don't have to be complicated. They don't have to be time consuming. And sometimes it's as simple as giving our students a chance to just fix what's been damaged, reflect on their actions or engage in some kind of educational experience to make things better. And these consequences are working on an intrinsic level with our students. They're not something that we're enforcing upon them. They're not something that we're bogging them down with. It's something that we can collaborate on and create meaningful change with. And again, the biggest magic maker with any classroom management approach 
is going to be buy-in. If you don't have buy-in, you might as well chuck whatever you're doing right in the bin because it's not going to penetrate whatever's happening for them. It's not going to get into, you know, that level that we need it to get into of reflection and resolution. But here's the thing, right? Consequences alone don't do the trick. The consequences can be incredibly valuable. They can be logical. They can make sense. The student could agree to them, but consequences alone aren't going to do the trick. And it's important for us to remember this because we don't want our efforts to be in vain. Getting a student to clean up a mess that they've created is great, but we need more than that. We need to embrace the true discipline that is teaching them and the pedagogy that surrounds that consequence. So discipline is all about learning. And some of my favorite quotes around consequences and discipline come from Lorraine Fox in her article, Teachers or Taunters, A Dilemma of True Discipline for Direct Care Workers with Children. And I'll pop the link to the article in the show notes. But one of the quotes that I love, she says, at this point, it seems necessary to give some consideration to the notion of consequences. According to the dictionary, a consequence is that which naturally follows from a preceding action. The key word for us in this context of the discussion is the word naturally. How many times do the consequences we impose in response to unacceptable behavior have a natural connection to the behavior? What does a loss of points have to do with a clean room or a broken window? How does the privilege of watching television relate to trouble in the gym? How frequently, though, are these kinds of totally unrelated consequences levied against a child with no further work to provide the discipline, the teaching and the learning? So just from that, you can see it is about the journey. It is about the learning around it and slapping on a consequence won't magically make our students grow and reflect. No wonder we're continuing this cycle when we send our students out, give them a suspension, give them a detention, but we're not doing the work around it. No wonder they're continuing that cycle and they're in the same position the next time they walk in that room. It won't magically help them grow and reflect. We need to walk that path together. We need to guide them towards understanding and growth and true accountability. So I just want to bust some misconceptions about the restorative approach. Some people think it's a soft approach. It's like some people think that students get away with behavior, uh, but trust me, it is the opposite of that. It requires things that we don't get in a more punitive approach. It requires that we do get a greater deal of accountability and reflection. And we're not excusing or ignoring behavior here through those discussions. We're actually appropriately approaching it. We're becoming more empowered as teachers. We're becoming more skilled and effective for all of our students, not even just the challenging ones, but for every single student in that room. And what's the secret ingredient to that success? It is something that I like to call transformative talks. These are the bread and butter of our restorative approach. When we strategically engage in dialogue with our students to address concerns and resolve challenges and restore relationships, we're teaching them, we're supporting them, we're connecting with them. And they're similar to restorative justice chats, but they're far less rigid. They don't require as much time. Um, And I've adapted them to the context of like a busy teacher in the classroom context. And these transformative talks come in all shapes and sizes. They can be quick and casual. They can be a little bit more rigorous with a bit more planning and time. It just depends on the unique circumstances and the context surrounding the behavior, but the goals are all very simple. The goal for each transformative talk is to connect with the student, to listen to the student, to invest in the relationship, reflect on that event and help them unpack the harm and ultimately support them in taking accountability reinforce expectations with them, dig into the why behind the behavior and decide on an appropriate consequence together. And that's where things get really, really amazing for our students when we're able to sit with them and ask them, what do you think is appropriate for this? What kind of consequence do you think matches what's happened today? And we're able to really meaningfully resolve things for a fresh start. 
You can whip out these transformative talks anytime you feel a behavior wasn't resolved in the moment in the lesson, anytime you want to reinforce expectations for an ongoing issue. They're fantastic for supporting students who struggle with regulation or work or engagement. So it doesn't always have to be about like challenging behavior that you need to resolve. It could just be about digging into the why and what's happening with that student. They're like a little Swiss army knife of behavior management. You can use them in all contexts. I wish I could cover all of the intricate details of the how around using transformative talks, but in just one podcast, it is incredibly um, challenging to do that. It's detailed, it's nuanced, it requires a lot of skill and hardwiring. It's just way too much for me to do justice in a single episode of the podcast. But I do have exciting news for those of you who are listening in real time. Doors are open to enroll in my best-selling masterclass, Real Consequences, Real Change. And in this masterclass, I do guide you through that step-by-step roadmap to tackle those challenging behaviors through transformative talks and real consequences. I equip you with a toolbox of resources to support you in that journey towards student accountability and authentic change. And I also only run this once a year. So if you're interested, there's a link in the show notes you can head to and you can get all of the information, all of the details. It was actually a sellout last year, which is absolutely amazing. And last episode, I went over some of the feedback that teachers who attended had given me about the course, but I just wanted to read out one more again in the in risking like tooting my own horn. Uh, but Alexandra said that it was everything I never knew I didn't know. That was amazing. The masterclass gave me real tools to tackle real problems in the classroom and even reach the students that feel unreachable at the moment. For the first time in a long time, I'm not grasping at straws when it comes to behavior management. Instead, I feel like I have a clear plan on how to implement real logical consequences that has the student feel seen and heard, which is honestly, Alexandra, by far some of the best feedback I've gotten because it is so in alignment with why I do this work because it's not about me hand-holding. I don't ever want to be somebody that's hand-holding people and I don't want you to rely on me for asking questions and all the rest of it. My job is to empower teachers and try to make myself as redundant as humanly possible through the work that I do to really empower you to hardwire these skills and to be able to do that for yourself and to help your staff. So that particular set of feedback made me so happy because I feel like that is the essence of my work and what I try to do in this space. And on that, I've gotten to the end of another episode and I actually did that in one single take. So I think as a mother, I'm getting far better at managing my time. I'm realizing that done is better than perfect. I'm realizing that things that we find really important in our own work, the things that you know, we want to do to make it really perfect and polish and all of those things are very often the things that don't really get noticed by people anyway. They're the things that we really hold very close to ourselves and we we obsess over. But when it comes to the crunch, it's not something that anyone would even notice. And I saw a really great post on Instagram the other day and it was exactly about that. And it said, I can't remember who it was from. If I do find it, I'll share it on my stories. But it was something along the lines of how to burn out. And a couple of the things underneath that were um, be unrelenting in, you know, your perfectionism or something like that. And, you know, always holding yourself to the highest possible standard. And I think it's really important for us to do that in some regard, in some aspects, I think it's important for us to always have high expectations of ourselves, but not at the cost of our mental health and not at the cost of being able to do things that we really want to do. I really want to do the podcast, but guess what? If I focus on every little 
mistake if I focused on editing out every single time I said, um, I say I'm a million times on this podcast. If I focused on every time I planned a lesson, you know, doing little tiny adjustments that aren't going to be noticed, we would never get the things done. Like I wouldn't have a course right now. I would just have a podcast. Or if I focused on all the things for the course, I wouldn't have a podcast. So all of those things are really important for us to remember. Like it's not it's done is better than perfect. It really is. And I know that I'll listen back to this podcast and all of the little parts along the way where I'm like, I really stuffed that up. I probably won't even know where they are. So uh, that's just a little lesson for me today and just something that I'm reminding myself of constantly. So I thought I'd share that and hopefully it helps you out during this week as well, because it's applicable to every single aspect of our lives, whether it's teaching personal life, relationships, whatever it might be. Um, So go out there and give your 100% this week, whether 100% looks like having a cupcake and doing a little bit of planning on the lounge, or if it looks like revolutionizing your practice, whatever it looks like this week, give 100% to yourself and everything else. And I look forward to seeing you next time, everyone. 